I've got a special two-parter jammed into one part for you today. My guest is Joanne Morell, and the reason this is a two-part is that I am also featuring the interview I did with her on her podcast. I'll have links in the show notes to her podcast so you can listen to that as well. It's a fantastic show with all kinds of sage wisdom on how to best market your books and the mindset behind having a lot of success. So for some of you, this will be the second time that you've heard a little bit about my very small practical book, The Seven-Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists. Uh, And for others of you, you don't even know I wrote this book. Uh, It's not one I speak about a whole ton because as you'll hear in my interview with Joanne, I feel like I am adding to it and improving my knowledge all the time. And so it feels more like a living document than something that's uh, all said and done. And there are times where I feel like you can get better information elsewhere. Uh, As far as the podcast goes, I'm really comfortable that you're getting the best information possible because of the expertise of guests like Joanne, uh, my upcoming interview with Stephen Pressfield. I'm able to talk to people who can give you targeted, specific advice on how to market. And so I think this podcast maybe fills the role that I hoped the book would. Um, And then lastly, stay tuned because I am now partnered with Scrivener. If you've not used it before, I'm going to have a full episode coming up on why I think you might want to give that a try. And if you like to support the podcast and help yourself at the same time, you can grab Scrivener now using the link in the show notes. And a small amount of that money will go right into my pocket so that I can increase my advertising for this podcast to find new listeners and ultimately conquer the world because that's what I'm out here to do. Conquer the world and leave no witnesses. Alrighty, let's get into my interview with Joanne Morell. This is TRBM Ammo Edition. If you're a published author, and want to make a living writing books and selling them to avid readers, you've come to the right place. There's simply no program that's more successful at driving readers towards the books you've written. So the only thing you have to worry about is writing a great book. And the system with enamel takes care of the rest. Thanks for listening to this conversation. You What's look like that? something out of James Bond with that cow on your shoulder. I, I feel like something out of James Bond. He uh, <laughs> he spends so much time up here right now. Eventually, I'll have to shrug him off because eventually I start to, you know, hunch a little too much and it, it, uh, oh it's tiring. Oh my gosh, that's funny. Is it cold mm. where you are? Is that cat keeping you warm? <laughs> he does keep me warm and it is cold. Yeah, it's uh, we, we had a fairly prolonged fall actually, which was nice, but then um when it got cold on christmas day was our first snow of the year and since then it stayed uh below 30 pretty much all day every day so wow we're in the peak peak of summer here yeah exactly (laughs) do you get cold there though i mean do you see snow in your area yes you do no uh no 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 snow it does snow in parts of australia but um yeah not in perth but it does get bloody cold here because the houses are they're, they're not made to deal with um like the cold so yeah. i grew up in scotland and that's all double glazing and, and radiators and stuff like that right. whereas here we've got tiles on the floor and the houses are it's so the houses are kept cold in the summer but um yeah. apart from that yeah it's bloody freezing when it's cold. <laughs> that's funny that is Yay. funny we uh we lived in spokane for a period of time and i remember there they didn't even have air conditioning in a lot of the places places because it's such moderate summers um and and it happened to be that the first summer we lived there they had a heat wave it was like 102 degrees during the day and we were Whoa. just dying it wouldn't cool down at night it was it was intense 
<laughs> you prefer the cold then? Um, you know what? I prefer the heat actually, but uh, I, I find it a little bit more difficult to deal with extreme heat than extreme cold. Um, it, like you can layer up an extreme cold, whereas there's a certain level of heat that you're just like, I can't take off any more clothes. If I don't have an air conditioner, mm. I can't like prevent that and from just seeping through. So uh, I guess it's, it's combust. About... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Happy mediums. I want to apologize um, for, for. Oh, you don't need to stop miscommunications. Silly. <laughs> well, you know, it, it uh, inconvenienced you a great deal. And I, I meant no disrespect by it. So I do apologize. No, don't be silly. And I, honestly, I'm someone who believes like we're, we were obviously meant to chat today now over sure. those other times. Do you know what I mean? I had to laugh yeah. at your, um, it, it probably wasn't funny to you, but that your email when you were sort of, you know, hiding in your car with your tablecloth, I was just, I could just picture <laughs> that, you know, after your book sales and you'd broken down, I was like, the poor guy. <laughs> it, that was, that was a, a pretty bad day. I've had some interesting ones because I've done a ton of in-person events cons and and uh book selling events and that particular one was just it, all around was was horrendous so um oh. good learning experience i was there for nine hours uh, it was a three-hour drive both ways and uh wow i sold um uh, like less than a hundred dollars worth of books so i uh, i did not yeah. yeah cover cover the cost of anything but um you you live and learn right yeah, that's it. I know. I've I've seen you've been putting yourself out there a bit at these things, and um, yeah, I, I, it's, yeah, not something I've done yet. But I think yeah. you've got to try it, don't you? <laughs> yeah, especially because I find, um, in terms of like actual advertising, when you spend money to advertise, I've I've had some luck with Facebook. Uh, I've built my list and and sold some books, but on the whole, I've lost money advertising on Facebook. It's really tough to figure it mm. out. Um, whereas on the whole with going to like events, even though I've had a couple bad ones, I'm, I'm net positive on that. And so, you know, I could indefinitely sell books in person, but I don't, I have not figured out the key to advertise online yet. Yeah. And I think, um, you, it, you meet people at these things as well, um, yes. and make the connections, which is pretty important. So yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So, um, with that in mind, we originally planned to do back-to-back -back podcasts. I know that may have changed, but I wanted to kind of plan for the conversations and see what your thought was right now. Are we just doing TRBM for the moment and see how things go in the future? Or what were your thoughts for, for today? Uh, I was still just going to stick with what I'd sent you through, um, like for my thing for last time about your um, marketing book and just a quick Perfect. chat on that. And then, yeah, okay. flip it flip it on its head, whatever you wanted to do. Okay, sounds good. Um, and then so we'll just stay on this channel and I'll send you the recording. Is that the easiest way to do or how would you like to handle that? Um, yeah, I don't know, actually. I hadn't even thought of that. So whatever is easiest, I guess. It's yeah, yeah, if that suits you. Yeah, it's super easy. Yeah. I can I can send you the recording. So what? Uh, and then I don't recall off the top of my head. You do a, like a pre-recorded intro and everything, so we can just yeah. say this is the TRBM part, and then this is your podcast, uh, the the hybrid podcast, and and um, separate it that way. Does that sound easy enough? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, whatever okay. is easiest. <laughs> Perfect. For you okay. on your side, yeah. It's, yeah. it's like seven in the morning here, so I'm still like fresh wakening, <laughs> like Good. starting to like come to. <laughs> yeah. Are you a morning person generally or do you prefer evenings? So, like when are you most alert and like uh, focused? 
Um, I don't know. I honestly can't say it's one or the other. I think it just really? depends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's <laughs> I'm that weirdo I, in between. <laughs> you are a weirdo. I was going to say, I, I, it <laughs> seems to me that usually people have a pretty good feel for whether they're morning or, or evening people, but Mm-mm. you, you yeah. kind of go how, how the day takes you, huh? Yeah, if I was to pick one, I'd say night, but it's just, yeah, absolutely. Now with kids, eh, it just depends. <laughs> yeah. So, but yes, yeah, owning so, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Before kids then, would you say that you were more like a night owl? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. Okay. But yeah. I've never been this morning. <laughs> so I'm like, well, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, cool. for whatever reason, I am like a five thirty a.m., five fifty a.m. Pop out of bed. My brain is as fresh as a ripe peach, and wow. it's all downhill from from then on. So by the end <laughs> of the night, I save that for just kind of like reading and vegging because I'm not very good with the the last part of the day. And are you? Is this evening for you now? Is this about it eight is. o'clock at night now? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you're seeing the worst part of me. <laughs> oh, well, I was just gonna say you're doing all right. <laughs> yeah, oh, um. I'm a little bit nasally because I've just gotten over COVID. So, okay. um, I'm, you know, when you're talking, I might have to mute it to like cough my ring up or something. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm, I'm glad it, it's it's just a cough. I The first time I had it, I lost my sense of taste and smell. It was very bizarre. And it was probably the hardest like sickness I'd had in memory, um, but ultimately not like risky or dangerous or anything. And my wife got the vaccine. I did not. Uh, I hope that doesn't offend you. But um, no. I just I didn't feel I needed it. And all the research I'd seen suggested that like it was not dangerous for me not to get vaccinated. So I didn't. And because of that, I think I suffered much harder than she did mm. when, when she got it. But both of us got it uh, like right at the same time. It was inevitable in the size of the house we have. Like there's no there's no quarantining from each other in this house. Yeah, <laughs> we um same it sort of knocked me on my feet for the first time I had it and um like really bad fatigue as well. And it sort of lingered for yeah. me for about two weeks. And then this time around my eldest daughter had it and uh my youngest managed to avoid it thankfully and because she's she's got wheezy sort of issues as well so i was glad mm. but the eldest was she was it was like a cold so it wasn't that bad and it was pretty mild for me started with yeah. a particularly cough and then i blew my nose the next day and i thought oh well, but i just tested and it was positive and then i did go downhill like day three and then day four yeah. was sort of in the men but it's more just like a nasally thing but i'm in between houses at, my, at the moment so i'm, I'm with my parents and okay. they're older and they they've had like five jags each so they're oh, kind of no kidding yeah i've had like two wow. but they're they're okay. sort of like gloating around the house because they haven't caught it and oh, it must be because of that and i was like well maybe it's just because i've kept the kids away from you or something yeah but i'm the one that's going in to serve so um yeah yeah, yeah. but no i just uh i got the mandatory but uh, i'm not popping it up or anything like that it's one of these things now isn't it that we're yeah. living with yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the more the more I've gotten used to COVID, the less like scared I am necessarily of it. I understand that it can be dangerous for a certain set of the population, but it it where it originally really scared me. I, I think I feel at this point that it's sort of like flu 2.0 or something. It's just a another bug <laughs> yeah. that's going to circulate year round. So yeah. Till the next thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> till the next plague. <laughs> I know. Yeah, exactly. I, I hope that never happens in my lifetime, at least. Oh gosh, I know. Um, cool. All right. Well, well, we crack on. I've just got your short bio that I'll read out, and then just uh, on to the questions. Which, if yeah, there, there wasn't many, but it's mainly just a chat around your your mindset book. So you got it. Yeah. 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 It's cool. 
All right. Well, so you're already recording. <laughs> yes, I am. And I'll, I'll probably piece some of our beginning conversation into TRBM and then we can do this and then we'll switch over to TRBM when yeah. you tell me we're done with yours. Yeah, that's cool. Can I just ask, why did you remarket the podcast? You've changed your um, design in the, and you sort of brought it down yeah. to TBRM. <laughs> yes, uh, that's that's a good question. So I changed the podcast because I felt like the reluctant book marketer kind of pigeonholed me a little bit more right. than I wanted to be. Um, and I experimented with a couple different formats. So I, on my journey, always my first priority has been to sell my books. That's what I'm here on this planet to do as far as mm -hmm. I can tell is sell my books. Um, it's what I'm passionate about. And when I envisioned the podcast, I originally thought of it as something to help me build my brand. And I think it is, but I noticed that I was really starting to build a brand around uh, teaching people how to market books and not necessarily sell my own books. And that was reflected in the kind of sales that I was seeing for my own books. And so I sort of took a, a little bit of a pivot. Uh, I, I rebranded to TRBM and I started doing a storytelling episode where I would actually set prompts through Twitter. It was still Twitter at that point. Um, and they were just little story prompt questions and people would answer them. And they, the answers that were most interesting to me, I would reach out and invite them to be a guest on a podcast. And we would tell a collaborative story, uh, just like improv the story. And I thought that was a lot of fun. It turned out to be difficult to sustain because uh, people are hard to track down and get them on the podcast, mm -hmm. uh, as well as some people I discovered are not particularly well suited for improv. And some people are not particularly well suited to be on podcasts. And so I was recording a lot of episodes that I was then basically throwing into a drawer because it was like, this is not entertaining for me. And it's not going to be entertaining for listeners. So I pivoted away from that and started to focus on, mm, I, it really is ultimately back to book marketing for the most part. I have a lot of fascination there, but I'm, I don't feel quite as pigeonholed. I can do some different things if I want to and mm. talk um, on, on different topics. So uh Largely, it's still book marketing, but I like I like that TRBM doesn't have to mean anything, and it's a little bit yeah. contrary to the the notion that they talk about. Uh, make sure that your podcast name really clearly indicates what you do. Um, I've, mm. I've sort of eschewed that, and and I'm just uh, being vague, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> now that's really interesting, and yeah, I'll I'll, I'll kick off because I, I'm I know I've, all these questions are coming up that I want to ask you, so I was like, oh. Just start was a bad thing. So yeah. anyway, Jodie J. Sperling is a novelist, podcaster, husband, and father. He's obsessed with writing the best books and showing other authors how to make the best books bestsellers. Welcome back to the Hybrid Author Podcast, Jodie. Hey, thanks for having me again. Oh, uh, we're so excited to have you back on. You did appear in the show in our, I think it was like October 2022 now, so we're into 2024. But for those who didn't catch that episode or haven't quite heard of you, can you tell us or I'll tell them how you got into writing and publishing? Yeah. So um, as, as far as writing goes, uh, I had the, the the very sappy, normal story that that many people do is, is that uh, I, I fell in love with a girl and thought that it would be really impressive if I was a writer. And so I started doing that. <laughs> I, I ended up not getting with her, but I kept the writing habit. Uh, and that has been uh, like the most nourishing thing in my life and uh, become my purpose. Uh, and then as far as publishing goes, I went through the uh, traditional education system, got my master's 
Master of Fine Arts in Fiction, um, thought that was going to be the golden ticket, that I was going to meet uh, some kind of like editor or publisher from one of the big five. Like I was going to be with Penguin Random House and get a six-figure <laughs> advance and just ride off into the sunset. I'm four books into a nine book series and every single day lately, I find myself thinking, boy, it would be great if I had some central location for all of my notes, all of my plot points, character names, family lineages, you name it. I wish it was in one place because let's be honest, the way that I am using Microsoft Word as a word processor and have 55 different documents to keep track of all of the series details that I need to access, I'm taking more time opening up files wondering, why did I name this one that? Why did I name this one that? And not getting the information I need. Enter Scrivener. You guys know that I do not advertise for things unless A, I'm using them myself, and B, I think that you could up your game, sell more books, do better marketing, and get yourself in the game better. And that is why I am now partnered with Scrivener. If you use the link in the show notes, you get a 30-day free trial, and then you can sign up as well for a discount. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. That also did not happen. Um, and so I have published uh, a little bit traditionally, um, but mostly I focus now on self-publishing. Uh, and that's just because uh, I, I see that now as the most viable path to a robust career. Um, and then I'll, I'll stop getting on my soapbox after I say that eventually I would like to publish traditionally with the right book, but for for the time being, self-publishing seems to be the right the right way for me. Oh, amazing. So are you, you're obviously pumping out books with the aim to self-publish, but is there works mm -hmm. that you're working on that you're, you're, this is for traditional publishing houses that's still happening in the background or that's on the back burner? Yeah, no, that definitely is. Um, I have, I have a book called Kidnapping George Clooney. It's a novel and I will not <laughs> self-publish it. Um, it, it, it feels like a perfect fit for the traditional world. Um, and so I will I will start to market that once I have it ready and in shape and and uh, it won't settle until it gets a traditional publisher. But for for everything else, uh, it, it feels like self publishing is is a good fit. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because I've got aspirations, same as you, to do both. Yeah. And you just have this, you know, that this work is go is best suited this way, and this work is best suited that way. It's um, it's quite a fine yeah. line. It's quite funny. Uh, that book sounds extremely intriguing. I'll definitely be <laughs> running out to buy that. Um, is it anything to do with George Clooney? At all or no? Is that uh, yes, fiction? <laughs> no, it, it does. So the, the format of that book is, and the reason I think it's good for traditional publishing is that it has a little bit more of a literary spin to it. Um, you have uh, a young woman um, who has this, this like, uh, fixation on the idea that mustard is the greatest condiment and that it's like not getting its day in the sun. And so she sees the... Uh, Nespresso ads that George Clooney does. I, I think that they run more in like England than anywhere else, but he is like the the point person for this coffee brand called Nespresso. So she sees <laughs> these ads and and decides that if he would be the ad campaign head for mustard, he could give mustard its due. Uh, and so she she wants to go and convince him that this is what he needs to do. Takes a hitchhiking trip to Hollywood to try to convince him to do it, and it's a uh, kind of all the exploits along. No, oh, that's that's amazing. With uh, George Clooney, you, you like copyright and stuff. Are you allowed to use his name? 
Do you think yeah, it'd be a weird know, thing? <laughs> I know. I, I did a lot of research into it. I do thankfully have a friend who's a lawyer. And and basically the idea is, is that you say, uh, this is a work of fiction. Um, and yeah. so there's, there's nothing in it that will reflect poorly on George Clooney. But I was a little bit scared of that at first. And I thought <laughs> I, if I had to call a late audible for any reason, I could make it somebody else. But it feels like it loses some of the punch if it's not actually George Clooney. And so um, if you've ever heard of that movie being John Malkovich, it's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. It's it's the idea that you can use a person's name, but not necessarily tie yourself to it being like that real person. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Oh, well, it sounds amazing. Uh, and obviously you are an absolute fiction buff, but you do have some nonfiction. And that's what yeah. we're going to talk about today, your book. The Seven Figure Marketing Mindset for Novelists. So if you can tell us, you know, in your opinion, why why is why mindset and marketing and writing? Why do you think it's so important? Okay. So first off, I want to say mindset is the really big thing. And um, I want to differentiate that because one thing that I think I've been rightfully asked along the way is, have you made seven figures on your, your writing? Um, if not, why are you talking about this? So my answer to that is, in my life marketing, I have made seven figures. Um, and that that encompasses different business adventures that I've been on. Um, and bringing that mindset to the writing world, um, I have not made seven figures on my writing. And I'm fairly far away from that at this point. So it's about the mindset. And um, to borrow from what a lot of other people have said before, uh, if you don't quit, you can't lose. And so that's really the cornerstone of my mindset is, you know, keep that tenacity, keep trying, keep pushing, keep pressing. When something doesn't work, don't give up immediately, but you know, learn how to pivot quickly when something is not a fit for you. Uh, and, and the longer that you endure and persist, the better you'll get at this. So um, that is why I think marketing mindset is so important is people do not get to the level of success that they dream of for themselves unless they're willing to endure a lot of failure-like feelings. You haven't failed, you haven't lost, but it feels like it until you're an overnight success 10 years in the making, right? Mm, Yeah, well, I must be on my way. (laughs) Definitely (laughs) having those feelings. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, me too. Me too. But no, that's that's really well said there. And uh, I loved the book. I love love short form anyway. I just think that in this crazy busy world, like some some of the big books on stuff is a bit much. So I love that yours is sort of packs a punch. It's to the point. Um, Are you able to share what some of the mindset secrets are that you put in the book? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I will say, too, that uh, I, I see this book as being kind of a, an, an evolution. I really do plan on going back in um, and doing a, a little bit, tightening up some of just the grammatical things. I think that I knew when I published it as a nonfiction that I didn't need it to look like my fiction where it was perfect. So um, the wording is probably clunky in some places. Um, and I, I wanted that actually to speak to this this process of like, let's not be perfectionists. Let's be getting our work out there to a degree. I I have some complex feelings about that, but I'm okay saying in general, it's okay to get your work out into the world before you feel like it is the perfect uh, statue of David or something like that. And I apologize if you have the dog in the background, um, can't be helped. <laughs> but No, that's um, all good. Yeah. We like a bit of background noise and, and yeah. I think it sets the the ambience <laughs> yeah. and the visualness of the person. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, and then to your question, I think right now, in my mind, the cornerstone and most important thing that I put in the book 
Uh, there, there are many things you, you said it's small and it is small, but there's a section that talks about knocking on somebody's door. This can be a little bit metaphorical in some cases, but I think it is the the cornerstone of, of, of the book, because if you are not willing to get out of your comfort zone and do something uh, frightening, scary, uncomfortable, uh, loathsome, then you probably are not going to find the success that you want. Uh, and I'll tell a little anecdote that is actually a breaking the fourth wall of the book. Uh, so when I when I published the book, I really wanted to sell a lot of copies. And one thing that I thought would work well is starting a Kickstarter. Um, I think that Kickstarter is across the world, right? Your you're gonna your audience oh, will be familiar with Kickstarter, I assume. Yeah, yeah. The yeah, term, okay. yeah, I, absolutely. It's been it's mentioned. I I certainly am. It's not something I've done myself, but yeah, it's sure. something okay. that I'm looking to do this year. So yeah, yeah. And I I probably at some point will write something small on Kickstarter as well because I have learned some invaluable lessons. But so I started a Kickstarter and I I did everything wrong, um, but I wanted to basically partner with local businesses and businesses even across the country if possible to basically get my book in the hands of college students. That was the dream for this is that the American college education system for fine arts and writers has zero training in marketing. So you you get these uh, students who learn to write better and some of them are really talented, but by the time they're done with a four-year education or a six-year education, they have zero idea how to market. Um, so I, I created this Kickstarter thinking I will go to the local businesses. They can do this as a tax write-off. They can buy five copies that will be sent to a college of their choice. Um, and I thought that that was a really great idea. I thought that it was thinking outside the box and it was going to work. Um, I still think it was a clever idea. I think it was too clever. Yeah, it sounds out. Yeah, it's different. Yeah. Um, but what ended up happening is that I was picking up the phone and I was calling local businesses and I was getting hung up on. I was getting chewed out. I was getting cursed at. Um, I was walking into businesses with my pitch and and getting like stonewalled and people didn't want to see me, wouldn't speak to me. I got to the point, and, and just to give you a little bit of background, uh, I spent the majority of my working life outside of publishing on the phone, doing sales type things or in-person sales. So I'm very used to this. And it was shocking what happened because as I would get these rejections, like they piled up so hard and so fast that I felt punch drunk and I got scared mm. to make sales calls. And it was a horrible failure. My Kickstarter was a miserable, horrible failure. There, there got to be a point along the process where I asked my wife, like, hey, we've raised 35 of the 10,000 that I thought, uh, 3,500 of the 10,000 that I, I had aimed as my goal. Um, I guess if we funded the rest ourselves, at least we would get a small amount of money and sell a small amount of books. But for one, I didn't think it was ethical. And two, it was just like, no, you know what? This is the universe, God, whatever you think of saying, uh, great try, but this one is dead. Uh, and so I killed the project. Um, and that was an amazing learning experience, but it was, like I said, very mm. meta breaking the fourth wall. I failed, but my mindset was still like, this isn't over. Um, and I will say with that caveat, I didn't pick up the phone to make any kind of sales call related to my writing for another uh, eight months. I was terrified. And the first time I did pick up the phone to make a sales call uh, was, was, um, like I was trembling. I was so, so scared. So, um, oh. yeah, the process is tough, but I do believe that that is the cornerstone is knock on a door. And, um, 
sorry, I feel like I'm just, I'm not babbling, but no, I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm, I'm it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. So um, the idea of knocking on the door that I put in the seven figure marketing mindset for novelists is uh, you have your book ready to go. Now actually go to your neighbor, knock on their door and ask them if they're willing to buy a copy. Uh, and the reason that I say to do that is because when you put yourself in that position to ask someone to buy your book, something really different starts to happen inside of you. It changes your mindset and makes you realize this is not just a piece of art. This is also an asset. It's a, a an object that has value. And asking someone to buy it reminds you that it has value. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with your book having value. Um, imagine if Stephen King said like, oh, you know, I I, I wrote these books to enrich the world. I, I never thought about making any money. You know, uh, it just, it, it shouldn't work that way. You can create art and still profit from the art that you create. So. Mm, absolutely. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, got into this as well because I am passionate about what I do and writing and and book form for me that's it but uh yeah I mean I want to do this as a job and a career so yeah. yes I do want to make money from it um, and people do like it's yeah. gone are the days where um you know you, you there's still that negative stigma around um in places but people are like um making money on it I went to my first self-publishing uh, online conference today when I ever went to I went to online um, oh, cool. through the Alliance of Independent Authors and uh, uh, besides that here in Australia I'm very much a part of a traditional publishing crowd so to meet mm -hmm. these authors online and everybody was and and most of them that's what they were doing as a job and they're all earning money and stuff yeah. like that so it was really really refreshing to see um, because a lot of the traditional publishing people here are a bit um yeah, uh, unhappy, I guess, with with the money yeah. they're making, or it's it's quite quiet. But then you've yeah. got the other end of the spectrum, and people are making a living from it. And just off what you were saying, like what I really love about this profession, as soul destroying as it can feel sometimes, and then mm -hmm. we keep sort of I don't know if we're sadistic or something, going back for more to keep getting trolled on until we sort of make it. But yeah. it's that determination I think that you've got to have that you will get you to succeed. Um, but I like that there is a challenge in this job too. Um, yeah. yeah, you know, like every day is not the same or it's putting your it's putting yourself out there for learning new skills and um, yeah, just something different all the time because to think of a normal, oh, I don't know, nine to five desk job or whatever oh. just tears me up inside, even if you've got to do that to pursue yeah. your, your book marketing or writing until Absolutely. you meet the living you need to, that's fine. But yeah. Um, yeah, as much as all these other aspects of like marketing scares me because mm -hmm. especially like um, public speaking and all sorts of stuff. Uh, this yeah. is my happy medium where I'm sort of hidden behind lots of screens and things like right. that. But actually going out this year, I'm going to a few more in-person stuff. And uh, awesome. yeah, that's people will see me and I'm just like, oh, goodness. <laughs> but, I, you know, I probably enjoy it a lot more than what I'm scared of. But I like that it yeah. forces you to go out and out of your comfort zone. I yeah. think marketing. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. It's it's really surprising to me when it when you're talking about in person, um, the the relationships that you can build are are so much different, uh, so much quicker too. It's something about that physical uh, connection that deepens your connection, your relationship with a a, a reader that um, it it can't be. Uh, yeah, it can't it can't be under or overvalued, I guess. 
Mm, absolutely. I just like, um, and I like talking to people, so it's fine. And I like going to in-person events and I'm quite a social person, but what I think I need to get comfortable with is just people looking at me. Like, um, yeah. I don't like really, I guess, people looking at me and that's when you feel probably most raw and, and judged yeah. almost because that's when they're making the opinions, I suppose, yeah. you know, that's over mannerisms or, um, yeah. Not, not to get like psychological <laughs> on your own podcast, but why do you think that is? Does that, has that been like a lifelong thing for you? Uh, or is that like, is there a <sighs> moment where you feel like that happened? No, not really. There's just, I think that's just been um, the usual, you know, going through school and, and everybody, there's like a generation that was scared of sort of public speaking, whereas I'm not sure, sure how, what they teach in the US now, but my kids in Australia, it's like mandatory that every child has to get up through each years and they all have to be doing public oh, speaking. Cool. It's like they've been, yeah, they've ingrained it now into the system. So when they emerge now, there's not going to be that sort of um, fear like what there was. Um, okay. But I've had no, I've actually had positive ex experiences for uni having to get up and I did a whole presentations unit. Yeah. So you were forced to get up pretty much every single week. It was so uncomfortable. Wow. Yeah. Um, but I had to get up and I had self-published a children's fiction book in my first year at uni. And mm -hmm. I got up and spoke about that and I was quite nervous. But rather than the fear that I sort of felt, um, what happened? Like at the end, there was connection. People came yeah. up and they were like, "Oh, you know, I'm really excited, and I, I write as well." And it was like, "Oh, cool!" And it was, it was actually, I keep it in my mind because it was a positive yeah. experience in the end rather than a, a negative yeah. one. But <laughs> I'm curious. This happens for me is that anytime I've done any like formal public speaking, um, I get such a, a dose of adrenaline that when I'm finished, I don't remember anything that I said. Uh, you <laughs> know, I've practiced the speech. Does that happen to you at all, or or do you feel like? not quite as adrenaline hyped uh, as that. Yeah, not yet. And I don't think I've had as much practice. I will have to touch base again in another year because this <laughs> yeah. year is me putting myself out there a bit more with um, yeah. chatting and, and all that sort of stuff, more so than um, behind the screen. But yeah, uh, yeah well, if it's if it's a terrible experience and I get adrenaline, I can just blank out the, <laughs> blank out the experience. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, so anyway, yeah, back to your um, marketing mindset novelist book. Uh, so how did you sit down and sort of come up with the bits that you wanted to put in? So uh, I wrote and wrote and wrote a lot. And then I went back over the material and I cut and cut and cut until I thought that everything that was in there, at least as a, a raw idea, had a lot of, of value. Um, you, you mentioned early on that uh, shorter can be better. And I couldn't agree more, especially with a book like this. I think when you're when you're talking about any kind of skills acquisition type of book, shorter is better. And this book probably could go from if I were grading myself right now, I'd say it's like a C plus. Uh, I think I could get mm -hmm. it to an A with another 500 hours of work. And that's probably something that I envision doing with the book. I see it as sort of a living document evolving over time. Um, but I wrote it with as much as I knew at the time. I wrote it to the best of my ability, what I knew. Um, I worried less about the sentencing, which is sort of like the the complete opposite of how I feel about fiction. Fiction, every single word is belabored. Um, and 
it breaks my heart if someone's like, hey, there's a typo on page 19. I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> so you remembered book... from it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. I know. Uh, this book, it was less like that. It was more, uh, judge me on the concepts that I have. Have you encountered this kind of information before? Have you encountered it in this way? Uh, and I really wanted to pair every lesson that I tried to teach with a personal anecdote from my own life that illustrated the lesson. Um, I thought that that was of utmost importance. And I think that that's what gives a book a little bit more life is if you know that the person writing it has experienced what they're telling you to do. Um, because you don't, you don't want to learn from somebody who's theoretical pie in the sky. Uh, and I think, mm -hmm. unfortunately, I do encounter a lot of podcasts out in the world right now where you can tell that people uh, are are not acting in good faith. In fact, uh, a small little anecdote that, that bothered me to no end is uh, there was a, a gentleman who was advertising on Instagram uh, that his email system had generated, you know, 10 figure income for him. And it was $7 to buy his intro email. And I was like, what's $7? Like, I, I, I don't even think about spending $7. And so if it's a scam, at least I'll learn. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I'll, I'll buy it. I'll check it out. It was a template, basically, so that you could sort of personalize it. But it would give you this format for, for drawing customers into your funnel, which these are words I kind of hate, uh, funnel anyways. But uh, I bought it. And as I'm reading the the intro email, there was a typo in the first sentence and then a typo in the third sentence. And I think all told, there were like 15 typos in this oh thing that he sent. And it was... I mean, they were embarrassing typos. And so I just sent a thing to him and I said, hey, after the first typo, I was, I, I thought, okay, you know, I'd like, we all make mistakes. But by the time I got to the end of this, there were so many typos. Like I circled it, I sent him a screenshot of it and I was like, hey, you might want to think about like at least fixing this before you continue to sell it to people. Um, and he was belligerent with me. He was so angry. I didn't even ask for a refund, but he gave me a refund. He was so belligerent and um, it, it was, it was awful. And I just thought there are a lot of people out there right now who understand how to market, but don't have something valuable to market to other people. They haven't taken uh -huh. the time to really distill that. Um, and so I wanted this book at least to be, uh, an antidote to that. Yeah. You don't really think about that, do you? Hey, like, yeah. um, the other end, like someone can excel in, in that field, you know, <laughs> marketing, but then what yeah. they are marketing is like not any good. Yeah. Never Has no value. That. My goodness. Scary. Mm -hmm. I know. Yeah. There is sharks out there, which is, um, sad. It is, it yeah. is sad that people can sort of get roped in. There is a lot of podcasts popping up as well, isn't there? Um, I know yeah. at least from talking to people last year, at least three people I know are starting podcasts. So it's really, oh, wow. really a big, uh, yeah, saturation is going to come into that um, for marketing yeah. in the future. I've got to say with your book, what I liked as well is, is how you had all the reviews and stuff on the back that kind of, I, oh, yeah. I felt like the book, book was a good marketing marketing for yourself anyway and also how you had like the qr codes and just it was just different yeah. like um the way it was packaged as well i thought that was pretty clever thank you yeah i i wanted mm -hmm. i wanted to leave some resources at the back of the book that were easy to use uh and and you know give you uh kind of more more story one of the ones in the back that i really like is uh becky robinson her book reach uh had a really big impact on me i love i love what she said it kind of felt like in some sense, like traditional marketing and, and an approach, but I also felt that she distilled some ideas in some really cool, uh, easy to remember ways. So 
there are a lot of uh, resources at the back of the book as well that I hope can help people take the adventure a little bit further. Mm, no, that's fantastic. And I mean, you've already shared a lot of advice, but think of an author at the very beginning, you know, of their novel marketing adventure. Yeah. What what advice would you would you give them? At the very beginning of their marketing adventure. Um, they've made no mistakes. They've come up against yeah. no failures or no what works or nothing like that. They're wet behind the ears. What would you say? <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Good luck. Do something. Probably actually that's true. Do something would be my 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 basic advice uh, because I think that a lot of us get stuck. We have the book, it's finished. Um, and then we hope like posting uh, will organically drive readers to our books almost never works. Uh, and if it does work, it rarely works well enough for you to have a, a meaningful impact uh, in your community or uh, let alone the world. Um, but let me say it would be a little bit different depending on the kind of person. So uh, if you're a person who uh, has a little bit of money, then actually my advice for someone who's even wet behind the ears is spend uh, $5 a day for one week to run a Facebook ad. And if you don't know how to run a Facebook ad, just go online and uh, YouTube is a wonderful resource type how to create a Facebook ad. Um, and, and you can learn how to do all of the little things you need to know how to do. The reason I say that one is because um, next to knocking on the door, which would be another piece of advice for someone who has no money but wants to get out there, uh, spending money to advertise your book instantaneously changes your relationship with the book because every day that you lose $5, even though for most people that's not a huge big deal, um, it still hurts. It's like, okay, I could have bought a cheeseburger or something along those lines, but instead <laughs> I just flushed that money down the Facebook drain. Um, and it helps you to be more tenacious and to realize that it's difficult. And I think what happens in your brain when you accept that you're not going to magically rub a genie lamp and just be famous is that you start to create a resilience mindset. And that is the 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 number one key to success in this is is building resilience. Mm, absolutely. Do you feel like there's how long do you think someone should sort of plug at something before they, they're like, nah, this is not working for me and pivot onto the next thing? Do you think six months, <laughs> depending on what it is? That's to a, a year? Great, that's a great, yeah, that's a great question. Um, so my my Facebook advertising journey ha will be one year in February, and I've certainly lost more money than I have I've made. Um, it's significant amount, actually. At, at different points, I've been a bit more aggressive with my budget, trying to like experiment with things. And I will say the caveat, I, again, I talked about this in the seven-figure marketing mindset for novelists. I've talked about it on my podcast plenty, maybe even mentioned it the first time that you and I chatted. But I have disposable income to a degree, um, and so I was able to be a bit more aggressive with my budget. Not everybody can. I understand that. Um, mm. But uh, I say go until the pain makes you absolutely until you have to quit. And at the moment you feel like I have to quit, then go ahead and quit that thing to salvage the whole, if that makes sense. So yeah, yeah I mean, it's, it's like the analogy I think of in the health world is um, the best way to have the best physical health is to do things until exhaustion. So if you're going to do push-ups, do push-ups until you literally can't complete another push-up. And that is physiologically the most beneficial way to go about exercise that that gives you the biggest 
benefits uh, in in health. Uh, and I would say have that same approach to this. So you set a budget and you say right now, um, I am able to spend uh, $100 a month on advertising. So then the first thing you do is if you say I'm able to spend $100 a month, then up that by 10%. So be willing to spend $110. Uh, and then if you get to the end of the month and you literally don't have anything left in the bank account and you're like, I'm going to go broke if I keep doing this, then mm. stop advertising and pivot until you can go back to it and try again. Um, there are some cases where it's just a clear sign to quit. And I think that's a little more difficult to decide when that exact moment is. I wish that I had a really clean cut way to say like quit, but generally speaking, um, unless you are loath to wake up, it's probably worth <laughs> continuing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like that. It's, um, it's hard as well, wasn't it? Cause it's sort of it's just awesome. that, that is it's that mindset as well. Oh, but it could yeah. be the next one or the same. Yeah, exactly. Right. right? I, I mean, I, you're almost a gambling addict at some point, right? <laughs> yeah. It feels like it. At least you're like, if I just pulled this slot one more time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> scary. <laughs> think of it that way, but yeah, yeah, no, I wholeheartedly agree. I think this this industry, and it's something that I do anyway, is is mm. all a gut feeling. Um, you know, the yeah. I, t- I talked about before that um, uh, children's fiction book that I self published in my first year of uni before I knew sort of anything and kind yeah. of put it out without having it edited, and I had a gut feeling there, like it wasn't. It, it, I was rushing or, or whatever and I did it anyway and I was just like crippled by self-doubt when, once I put it yeah. out there and I mean, that was a big lesson in itself but mm-hmm. it, it's like a, an antenna now I sort of read through things and I more consult the, the gut being like how does that feel you know if there's any sort of tingling or anything I'm just like oh no it's fine <laughs> so, yeah yeah with, with that but um yeah well do you plan on um are you going to add any more books to this series with the um, marketing mindset novelist book, or are you you going to just keep updating this as and as you grow and learn and things like that? I definitely will update it. I will try to keep it roughly the same length. Uh, I may I may completely dispatch certain parts of the book if I feel like they don't age well. Um, but yeah, what I would like to do is I would like to write a, a volume of about the same size once I've actually hit the seven figure uh, income piece of it and say, this is how you do it. Um, and and really try to be as vulnerable as possible about all of the mistakes I've made along the way, because I've, you know, I've shared the Kickstarter story. I've made some boneheaded mistakes uh, that have cost me a lot of money um, and a lot of pride. So uh, I'd, I'd love to share that with the world because one thing I think is lacking right now is uh, the vulnerability to actually talk about failure in a real raw and honest way. Um, I love Joanna Penn. I love what she does. I feel like she doesn't talk enough about her own failure. You, you feel like she was like born a success. Um, and I love Mark Dawson. Again, similar. He does talk a little bit about being a, a failure, but um, uh, it just doesn't, it doesn't feel very raw. I think that it's one of the human characteristics that we don't want people to laugh at us. And so, yeah, yeah you know, we don't, we don't tend to be vulnerable about how uh, the mistakes that we made uh, and and how silly we were. Um, and so I want to do that because I think that that's important. And there's somebody out there right now who's listening to this. There's somebody out there who will listen to this, uh, will come across my book that, that, 
like this will save them from quitting because they'll be like, oh, if that guy could be so stupid and, and look at where he's at now, then I can do this too. Uh, and I think that that's really important and missing in in the field right now. Yeah, that's a really, again, a really good mindset to have. I think like in terms of, say, Joanna Penn and Mark Dawson, um, Joanna Penn, I absolutely love her podcast. Yeah. She's been on mine a couple of times and she's like an unbespoke mentor of mine um, yes. across the way. But she, um, I've got to say like her fiction, her nonfiction stuff that she's putting out now that she's doing through Kickstarter is, um, it's more, I'm not going to say authentic, but it's more personalized. So she actually oh, yeah. does inject a lot more um of how she's feeling like in a more in a negative light, really, really yeah. open and honestly more oh, so nice. than our kind of how-to okay. books. Like, yeah. So yeah. she's kind of pivoted there. And I remember one of her podcasts, she was saying that she had wished, I think in the beginning of her podcast that she had been a bit more open about the failures yeah. and stuff like that. And I think probably from like a business standing, you kind of feel like, especially what they do, you kind of mm-hmm. feel like you have to be seen to be, the beacon that is yes. succeeding in every aspect because why then would people come to do what you're doing i guess if right. you've you're showing any sort of signs of failure but i'm the right. same as you like i can't it, it, it's not all coming together immediately for me but, and it is this yeah. is the real to me this as well it's the real life for most of us um yeah. it might work for for every well that's the thing though is which is so hard because not one person I have met in the writing um, field. It's it's every, every single person is different. Like every single person's story, the way they publish, the way they write, it's all different. So it kind of feels yeah. like there's definitely not one way, but there's there's one way for for everyone, or, or a yeah. couple of different ways, or or whatever. So um, yeah, yeah, it's a it's a mind yeah. boggle. <laughs> It is. Yeah, you're right. There's there's not a there's not a perfect format for everybody. You can't like have a single book where anybody who reads it is then like, oh, now I know how to succeed. Like it. Uh, mm. Yeah. I just heard this yeah. recently. You probably know of this, but uh, like colognes uh, and perfumes uh, interact with the pheromones of the person who sprays them. I don't actually wear cologne. I, I don't much like it, but I just thought this was really interesting and uh, applicable in a lot of like uh ways but apparently when you spray cologne on yourself your own pheromones change the scent so no one person ever smells the same wearing the same cologne wow that is cool (laughs) i like that that's you should become a metaphor for you for writing (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly yeah Yeah, so oh no that's interesting well thank you so much jody you've shared such good insights and expertise again thank you and uh yeah can you tell our listeners where they can discover you know the um the seven figure marketing mindset and all your fiction and just generally you and your podcasts on and offline absolutely so the seven figure marketing mindset you can find on facebook uh jody j sperling um, if you even get close to spelling it right, you'll find it on Amazon. I've gone to pains to make sure I'm I'm very findable there. Uh, so that's the easiest way to find that book. To find my fiction, go directly to my website, jodyjsperling.com. It's J-O-D-Y-J-S-P as in Paul, E-R-L-I-N as in Nancy G.com, um, where you can get all of my fiction the cheaper than you can get it anywhere else. And if it's physical, I'll sign it and ship it to you uh, anywhere in the world, no problem. And I also want to take just a quick moment to let any authors who are listening know if you are semi-successful, where you have enough reviews uh, on Amazon, Goodreads, or anywhere else, 
and you're interested in getting into bookstores in the United States, I have a business called the Self-Published Author Cooperative, uh, where we have relationships with bookstores across the states. Um, and I'm always looking to add more authors to my stable who want their books in bookstores. This is specifically for self-published authors. Uh, and you have to have the the um, inventory on hand so that you can ship it yourself. So it's not for everybody, but if you're that author who wants that, uh, you can reach out to me at Jody J Sperling at create collaborate.com. Um, and Joanne, it's probably easiest if I just send you the, the email address. So, uh, cause mm -hmm. create collaborate is spelled stupidly. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Anybody can reach out to me if they're interested to learn more about that. Oh uh, yeah. No, that's really interesting. Um, what is the, when you said enough, uh, reviews on Amazon and Goodreads, what's enough? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, I, I'm working with a guy right now who has a fantastic book. I think it's really marketable. He has 111 reviews on, on wow. Amazon. Um, yeah. So that that's probably around the bottom um, of, of where I would look at. If somebody had a great book and 50 reviews, yes, anything less than 50 is probably going to be a tough sell. Yeah. Okay. No, interesting. Good to know. Yeah. Well, thanks again, Geordie. That was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you. What is author marketing mastery through optimization, you ask? I'm going to tell you. It's the best way for us authors to make a living selling our books. Are you tired of hearing gurus tell you your book is only good enough to be a lead magnet for services? Are you tired of feeling like you have to be a slave to social media and then frustrated when the time you spend doesn't actually help you sell books? I was too, until I found Ammo. Ammo is the only program that reliably produces results and it works for anyone. Is it hard work? You bet. Do you have to overcome some of your own prejudices to make Ammo work for you? Absolutely. But rather than being another program that rah-rah shish-goom-bahs tries to get you emotionally excited only to offer unclear methods, Ammo shows you how to design profitable ads step-by-step -step through a unique, highly tested and targeted formula. The founder, Steve Piper, is a data-loving, formula-driven author who escaped the kingdom of Amazon to build a platform for himself, where he sold directly to his readers and built a loyal following and millions of copies sold. With Ammo, you know who's reading your books, how to contact them, and what they want to read next. If you've always been frustrated with Amazon's wall of mystery of not knowing who's reading your books and losing 50 to 70% of your hard-earned money, that you're making through sales. Ammo solves all of those problems by putting you in the driver's seat and showing you how to fulfill your books directly to your readership. Click the link in the show notes to learn more. Um, okay, so it, it occurred to me, by the way, that what I think I will do is I think I will We'll chop up that part of the interview and I'll just post that on mine and then we'll just roll into the next part of the conversation. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, I'll, I'll pitch it on my show. It's kind of like a, a hybrid podcast where they get to hear your show and I'll market your show on my show and then um, add, yeah. tag on and, and uh, we pr probably should have just done it like as a whole, but yeah, as I said, I haven't even given it a thought. <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's no worries. I, I, I like to pretend that I'm really well organized and sometimes I'm just like, I feel like, uh, things are coming at me so fast that I, I, I just make a lot of mistakes. So, oh, uh, yeah.
No, I think it's better, like what you're saying, to be authentic. I honestly cannot be any other way. Like I can't go out right. pretending to be someone else. It's just not me. And the yeah. books that I've written are from lived experience. And I can't, like, again, everybody's different. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, I can't. Yeah, I just can't. <laughs> I can't do no. anything different or whatever. Maybe maybe I shoot myself in the foot that way. But like you yep. said, it, it might turn it on its head when I get to eventually be where I want to be. Then people mm -hmm. are like, oh. Yeah. There is a a, a guy named uh, Alex Hermosi. Uh, I don't love everything about him, but I like a quite a darn lot about him and uh his his podcast is called the game and he talks about he says um steve jobs uh, and and you know jeff bezos etc uh didn't document the journey to where they are and so he's he has this goal of being a billionaire and he's like i want to i want to chart like the the journey to get there um, so that people can see what it's like on the way. And I, I was already doing that, but I thought he, he voiced it really well that it's, and I'm, I, I don't think my journey is to get to a billion dollars. Honestly, my, my journey is to be like a, a well-known author and really share my stories with a lot of people. But um, yeah, I just, I think people need billion to dollars would be nice though. <laughs> sure. Oh yeah. I'm not going to say no to money. I'm going to say I'm going to exceed that. <laughs> no. Um, I've done a lot of thinking in this area and I'd love to hear your thoughts too. So let's start this conversation at this point mm -hmm. is I, at different points in my life have had great ambitions. Like I thought I want to be the next Stephen King or I want to surpass Stephen King's success. And while I would love that, when I actually think about the output of energy that it takes to be Stephen King, I've thought, you know what? I would be okay if I could support my family and never worry about where their next meal is going to come from. Like, I mean, for the rest of their life, if I had that mm. level of success, which is probably only $10 million, if I were going to put a money like number to it, then I would be more than happy. If I succeed beyond that, gravy. But that is kind of for me right now where I see, like, I want to be a $10 million author. Um, and that sounds ludicrously ambitious to me right now. When you think of it in those terms, like energy versus like your dreams, what seems realistic to you? Uh, like, where would you like to be? And just say like, yeah, if I got there, I would have done more than I ever believed I could have done. It's, yeah, it's just kind of what you're saying. Like for me, the goal is to be able to live the lifestyle that I want, which is not necessarily Stephen King's level uh, yeah. of, of money and success and things like that. It is pretty much just, I guess what I, I live now, like, you know, a, enough that my family don't go without, I, I can feed yeah. them, <laughs> like the lights are going to stay on. Um, We can go on holidays, we live comfortably and anything that yeah. surpassed that would be incredible. Um, yeah. I suppose I look at, uh, I, 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 in my mind, like when you're saying it, I don't think I'll ever get to Stephen King because I pivot yeah. so much, um, yeah. in terms of, of work, you know, I do the children's and YA fiction. I do nonfiction. Mm -hmm. I do, I've got a women's fiction coming out this year. So there's just so much that I want to do. Am I not smart because are you supposed to just follow in one genre and build that up and, and go from there? And I think that I just jump around all over the place so much because that serves my interest. I get bored. Yeah. <laughs> You're just yeah. doing kind of one thing. But um, yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, on that note, I, I mean, uh, when I started the Create Collaborate podcast, which was the very first iteration of this thing, um, I I thought like, 
this is a, a means to an end. And then I realized somewhere along the way, I really love making this podcast. I don't love editing it. I would love to get to a place where I could hire somebody to do the editing of it, but I love mm. having these conversations. It lights me up. Uh, I wouldn't want to give it up. And that's what you made me think of is, is like, yes, fiction is my purpose. It's what I'm here to do. But at the same time, um, I can't see myself giving up podcasting to like, go to the next level with the novels. I can't see myself giving up Saturdays uh, at the beach with my family to get to the next level. And when I start to factor those things into the dream, then I realize I'm willing to sacrifice some of the size of the dream to keep some of the elements of what I already have that I already love. Mm, no, absolutely. And uh I I can't say I've ever been like this crazy workhorse of a person, but yeah. so like, um, but yeah, you 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 know you you want to be a fiction fiction buff or whatever, but you are also yeah. all the other things like you said you you identify as a podcaster, you're a father, um, I'm also yeah. a mother and a podcaster, and I love being those things, and those things uh, need our time, and you know yeah. kids are only little for so long, um, it's important. I think yeah. to, to kind of be around them as well. But yeah, I agree with podcasting. I set, started the Hybrid Author podcast as a, a marketing tool for myself, but it's actually serving me as an, a source of inspiration. Um, and the same as yeah. yourself, it's kind of like the editing is, is oh, but then I also don't want to, I would like to pass it on to somebody else, excuse me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I also feel like uh, because I batch the interviews with the editing, I go back and, if you sort of have that co- like it connects you back to that conversation yeah. um to be able to write up all the stuff and and things like that but yeah and i know what you're saying there's if i think of enjoyment in my life i, I don't think i'm gonna yeah. if i'm honest you know squash yeah. that to um continue the writing but i have over the years worked up probably much like yourself uh like a mechanics, I suppose, that I just, you automatically get up and do what you've got to do and to meet yes. deadlines and get things done, whether it's all different hours to fit in around everybody yeah. else, then that's just what has to be done now. And it's like, a, yeah. it's almost thought the other day, it's a bit of an obsession now. Like I can't yeah. sort of stop um, doing it to get to where I, I want to be. But mm-hmm. yeah, if it, if it comes at the sacrifice of, the other things that are important in my life, like you said, like children and um, yep. yeah, thing, but things like this, then then no, no thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And 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 I think that the truth is is that I've I've heard enough uh, from the business world to know that people who have built these ludicrously successful businesses, I think, including Stephen King, uh, is is that they do neglect uh, other things. They neglect family time they neglect seeing their children playing sports or or singing uh in in a, a concert or acting in a play um all the different things uh, that are family experiences that i don't want to miss my wife and i've had a handful of conversations where it's like you know if, if i if i want to really get where i'm going then i have to be able to have more time and every mm-hmm. time we do that she always figures out like let's do this let's do this so that you can get more time so when we first got married um, I was uh, still attending church. Uh, I was still pretty, pretty, I guess, religious. Um, and and so I, I didn't work on Sundays at all. And then it came to this point with kids where I was just like, 
I need the time on Sunday. And so we'd long stopped attending church. We'd long stopped doing any of that kind of stuff. And it was like, I still was holding on to this idea of like not working on Sundays. And I just said to her one day, I was like, you know, we never go and do like family stuff until noon or one. Can I just work? Like, would that offend you? Would you feel like bothered? And she's like, no, go ahead. And so ever since then, I, I always, always work from six to one, seven days a week. It's just what I do. Um, and then during the weekdays, oftentimes I'm still working until, you know, six or seven, like I am right now. Uh, and and I, I feel really comfortable with that. Our family thrives. My kids get to see me. They they feel like I probably, they get too much time with me. Um, <laughs> but could I take it further? I'm not sure right now. I feel like I'm pretty close to the maximum number of hours that I'm comfortable working. Um, and that probably has real life implications on on the ceiling that I will create for myself if I'm not willing to push harder. Do you ever have any conflict in yourself about like what you're doing and where it's going to get you? Do you ever wonder like, am I working hard enough or do I need to work harder? Or do you feel an in, like innate sense of comfort at, at your output? No, no, I'm not comfortable at all. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I question myself a lot and it always feels like I should be doing more or I'm not doing enough or you yeah. just, and I'm just feel like I'm in this race to get to where I want to be, but I feel like that's my downfall. And I've noticed um, in the past as well, and looking at my work process and stuff that uh, as, as a, a newbie sort of author, uh, you know, we've sort of just had a conversation, but I have sort of rushed to get to the end or, or to meet a deadline and stuff like that. And to the point where the work has not suffered, but uh, it, it needed probably a couple more elements to it. And I've just kind of pushed on over it. And uh, that's yeah. something that I've learned along the way that I need to just slow down, be patient mm. um, and get to get the work where it needs to be before sort yeah. of proceeding on. Because, you know, last year I had a goal of, it was more like an experiment to think, uh, I, you know, written my first women's fiction book, but I wanted to see mm. if I could do the rapid release thing and oh, experiment sure, sure. with doing yeah, like, so I had a, a goal of four books, uh, one every quarter, and I was going to be self-publishing wow. these books and, and all the rest. Now, I've started out writing children's and YA fiction, which is around, the, mm -hmm. I think the most I've written is 50,000 words. So a okay. women's fiction is, you know, 78,000 yeah. words is like the smaller end. And I'm more yeah. of an author that I... I don't I I sort of skim over the top of what I've got to say and then I have to go back and flesh it out so I don't yeah. I don't have buckets and buckets loads of words to sort of sort out anyway and yeah. this goal I laugh now because this goal was what so four four books the biggest number I've ever written and we also sold our family home uh wow. took the kids homeschooling and traveled the top end of Australia in a in a caravan oh, wow. for the first year. So rather than so so me I'm thinking jealous, I'm, by the way, that sounds amazing. Uh the, the, it, the was, it was part. an amazing yeah. experience and uh, it's it's the done thing here. There's a lot of uh people on the road and we met some amazing people, but uh I had less time than more because the kids were there all the time. We were homeschooling. Yeah. And you kind of think, well, because I'm not tied to a job per se, but because we were traveling, we didn't really know where we were going. Um, all the other time was spent kind of exploring. So out of that big goal, uh, I'm still finishing one of the books yeah, and having yeah. an editor there. But I'm, I had wanted to write the end on New Year's Eve in Poppercourt. Oh, and yeah. I, I came in with COVID and I'm still playing oh, on. No. I've still just got a couple chapters left. But yeah. I've learned not to... I'm not just going to rush it just to get yes. to 
you know, I'm going with that gut feeling. There it is, um, you yeah. know, to hit headlines and stuff. So already we're into the first week of January and I have brought in work from last year. So I feel like I'm chasing my tail already. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we've just started, um, yeah. you know, 2024. But I guess my my point is, um, you know, working, we're having, yeah, I can't be too down on myself. This is either the pace I'm at. I, yeah. I can't sabotage the work to be anything different, even though that's what I'm trying trying to do. Because I feel effectively if I if I work faster, work harder, you know, more money will come, more this, more that. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I just have to go at a pace that's obviously natural to me with yeah. with kids and other responsibilities and and all sorts of things. You know, I, that's that's yeah. all I can do, and I just have to be right. okay with that. I guess. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We hit we hit this point uh, for for my family where um, I had four rental houses, uh, and and I decided, you know, I'm I'm spending all this time building up this this real estate portfolio that I thought of as like the the um, patrons of of the arts. They were going to be the ones that supported my arts, and then I, I realized like I can keep doing that, and it is a lot of fun. Uh, but I have so much less time to focus on the art and the writing. Why don't I sell the houses off? And and that will give me a good three solid years of income where I can write and not have to worry about a W-2 or AKA like a a job um, outside of writing. Um, And we sold two of them and and did about two years. And then I looked at the other two and I was just like, this feels wrong right now. And my wife and I talked about it and it was like, she, she, she said, you know what? The kids are old enough. Um, I can get a job. So she went, she got a job. And, and um, again, I, I grew up in the, like the traditional Christian household. And so like a man's supposed to be provider. And I felt like a lot of shame around it at first when she went back and, and got a job. Cause I was like, wow, everybody, I mean, my grandparents actually called me, um, you know, Molly homemaker. Uh, and, oh. and it was kind of a joke that like I was staying home while my wife was bringing in the bacon. Uh, and it was tough. Well, that's the 20th also, century. <laughs> I, I know. I do know. I'm, I, you know I'm, I, I struggle with the upbringing that I had, not like actually mm. the doing of it. Um, and so, it, you know, I consider myself to be very much a feminist. Um, in fact, I think like the Nine Lives of Marva DeLonghi is an exploration um, of feminism, obviously written by a male, but trying to really explore some of those ideas. Um, all that to say, like the, the point I'm making here is that uh, it's to get where we're going, the, the level of sacrifice is, is, is crazy. And, and I doubt sometimes whether I'm at least respecting my wife's sacrifice, if she considers it a sacrifice to, to, to go back to work, like her taking one for the team, am I putting in the time that I need to? But at the same time, like you said, now I make dinner. Now I clean the house. Now I do the laundry. Now mm. I do the dishes. Now I do all of that stuff. So I, in some sense, I, I am doing like the homemaker part or the stay at home dad part. Uh, and I realize you know, there's only so much time in the day. So uh, yeah. these are these are just challenges. I, I don't know if I'm going anywhere with this, except to to sort of reflect back to you that I understand how you feel that like the, the, the burdens of the family, um, as great as they are, they do have a limiting factor on what we're able to accomplish. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do struggle. I, I hate this work-life balance um, yeah. term, but like just, just trying to, because not every day is scripted the same and we get mm-hmm. life curveballs thrown at us and all sorts of things. And um, yeah. I, I feel like as a newbie writer, you can, 
you you've got to find that skill as as I just talked about like what my process now is like a mechanics almost like an obsession I I just pick up and do it and I have to do it whereas when I yeah. first started out it was hard to in between all this other stuff uh oh I don't feel like it today or or something yeah. like that you know you've got you get past that and then you've got this other side of things and then and I just wonder like as you're talking like a question that keeps coming to mind we we're talking about we wouldn't sacrifice these things to get to mm -hmm. Stephen King level but say where we're yeah. at now we do reach a certain level and then there is more of an expectation of yeah. more of a uh, demand for your work or or a demand right. for this and then the, the money is piling in and there's this yeah. and that then would we be like starting yes. to sacrifice because I, we've reached this new level and yeah. i don't know <laughs> i love i love 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 that you took the conversation here because that was was kind of like flattering around at the back of my head was was the idea that what if you do hit that uh we'll, we'll just use the number that I threw out there it, your number probably is different than mine but let's say you hit that 10 million dollar author point well at that point there are an awful lot of human beings in the world who have read your books and want you to write another one mm. then you go traditionally published and now I no longer have to worry about finding my beta readers I don't have to worry about all of the other stuff I did I can send that off to the publisher they can worry about distribution, editing, all, all that kind of stuff. Like they can find my audiobook readers. They can do all this stuff that I was doing. And now I have enough money that I can hire somebody to clean my house. And that's the smart choice because people are clambering for my books. Um, so yes, I think both of those things exist simultaneously as you're like, if you hang in long enough, then the choices you get to make reflect the success that you've had by keeping your head above water, right? Yeah, absolutely. Well, we have to talk about it, Jody, because that's the next step for us. So, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> but, uh, but exactly what you said, I think just having that money to be able to delegate and pay yes. off the the jobs that sort of hold you back. I um my Christmas present to myself this year was uh to get a subscription for Masterclass. You know, Masterclass. Awesome. Yeah, I love that. You know yeah. That? So Neil Neil Gaiman has a a course yeah. and a bunch of different people. Yeah. Yeah, That's well, really it's cool. funny because uh, yeah, it is, and I've watched a couple. There's there's some that are quite full on uh, with lessons, but I love that the video form. But I watched uh, Martha Stewart. Oh, so <laughs> she's cool! Got, like, yeah, she's got like a two part series, and the first one, um, the first one, you sort of follow her day. So she's obviously showing you like what she does and she doesn't like she was, um, you know, whoever knows her story, obviously started her brand in her 50s after a divorce and has a child probably from that previous marriage. But now and I think she's in her 80s, but she looks amazing. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah, her day, like same as yourself, she's like a morning person, gets up at five, has her Pilates and her green juice and starts the day that way. But she actually has, like, she's pretty much getting up and going through. She's got someone there to help her with the Pilates. She's got someone sitting doing her makeup and her hair. She actually gets someone to drive her into New York because she doesn't, you know, while she's driving, she's doing all the other important work and things like that. So she's yeah. delegating all the, the parts of her time that... You know, she doesn't have to to do. I suppose that frees her up to do all yeah. the other cool, cool like Martha Stewart things. So, yeah, yeah it was really great. They've watched some really cool ones. 
<laughs> I, I love that. And I, I, I love having this conversation too, because I feel like something, there's a weird intersection and maybe you don't experience this as much as I feel like I have, but there are a lot of writers who seem to bristle at the idea of, of having like a, a house cleaner or something like that, or, or whatever, like someone doing your hair, someone um, picking your clothes, whatever it might be. Like there are people who seem to bristle at that, that like the suffering artist, uh, archetype is really weird. And it's so alive and well in the world that I live in that sometimes I'm scared to talk about these things. And yet it's just a natural consequence of doing great work. And nobody mm. actually wants me to, to wash my dishes. They want me to write more books. But right now it's a necessity mm. that I wash my dishes because otherwise, you know, the family's going to be angry at me and no one wants to eat on dirty plates. Yeah, that's it. Well, it's like the whole, you know, you're talking about Steve Jobs before and yeah. did uh, the whole wardrobe thing, you know, black yes, or just plain black, colors. Black turtleneck, black yeah, yeah, jeans. You yes, could exactly. Take save, the save the, yeah, exactly. Save that. It's the same applying it to time. He's just, yeah. you know, <laughs> keeping his choices um, yeah. up as well. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, in, in your, in your writing, uh, you talked about doing the rapid release thing. You succeeded in doing three books on the rapid release schedule. Is that right? No, no, I've I, no. only one, and and I haven't. Okay. I, I I didn't succeed at all. It was an absolute bomb because I haven't <laughs> I haven't released any. Oh, okay. um, but I can look back at that year, and like I said, I can tell why it might have worked had I been in a normal routine, had I mm. not been changing my day, every, like my world's not changing every minute of every day because we're moving across the country, right. <laughs> traveling and stuff like that, you know? So yeah. it was a, a bit, the, the goal was fine, I guess, but the situation sure. wasn't. So uh, I'm happy that I've, I could still, I'm still going to be able to release one women's fiction in the next couple of months. And I will look at that as a win but le again, yeah. lots of lessons learned from that. Uh, ex sure. It was an experiment just to see if I could yeah. be that faster, faster writer. Yeah, I, I have, I have. Uh, well, so I have a book that's supposed to come out in February, uh, the beginning of February, and I'm not going to hit that deadline. I know because I am not even finished with the outline yet. Um, and no matter how fast I work, I'm not going to be able to change an outline into a fully written book that's beta read and and comfortably yeah. ready to publish that quickly. Um, I would love to say that I could, I can work fairly quickly. I, I've learned that, but not that fast. Um, so I beat the deadline for book two and book three. But uh, by the time I got to book four, there were so many different things on my plate that I was just like, I kept having days where I wasn't writing and um, it's not great, but it's just a fact. And so here I am and I'm not going to make the deadline for book four. And that's been really tough. I also hate, um, how few sales I have on Amazon. I can do fairly well on the direct sales um, through different channels, but Amazon is tough. What's your experience there? I don't sell on Amazon at all, you don't? honestly. Okay. I know. Well, I, my stuff oh, is there, but listed. I'm not okay. selling. Yeah, it's, yeah. I don't seem to make sales through there. In the beginning, um, in the past, I, I have, but um, I'm yeah. more through Ingram Spark is where I make my sales or direct oh, nice. as well. Okay. Yeah. So, so last do you make year, your books I, returnable then or? No. You don't? Okay. No, no, no. It's it's ticked as like non-returnable on gotcha. um, okay. Ingram. But uh, mm -hmm. I had to be honest. I don't. I look at what I'm doing from a marketing perspective, and actually from a sales perspective. And I have not 
act apart from in the last six months i have not actively been trying to sell my work at all and as i said from the the whole traveling experience in the caravan was was a thing um i I had all this stock that i had to leave behind because obviously we're in a caravan for like there's not a lot of room i couldn't sell sort of print books from there um my plan was kind of to do more in-person kind of speaking and and stuff like that but not knowing where we were going we didn't really have a set routine it was just just as i said the situation was against me at the start so when we returned back home um july then i sort of made a uh what do you call it like a conscious decision to start applying myself to to sell my books now i'm talking about i've got two non-fiction works and uh, I've got those out as ebook, audio, and print formats. So it was more like the the print stock. And uh, we're, we've sort of had a conversation about about this. But I thought in my last job as a, a commercial technical script writer, and I used to write like e learning modules for like the mining companies and stuff like that. Anyway, we what I was actually really good at, which wasn't it was part of my job, but it wasn't my main yeah. job was rounding up the projects because we used to work on like 10 to 15 projects at a time. Uh, it was yeah. quite fast paced and you would be chasing up clients to be like, where are you at? Where are you at with, with this project yeah. and stuff like that? And I was like a bloodhound. I was so good <laughs> at phoning up and my, my project manager loved me because I'm effectively doing his job. I'm yeah. um, like managing all the projects and things like that. But yeah, I was good at chasing people up and like yourself, cold calling. I used to have a job when I was 16, cold calling around oh, yeah. houses, selling gas and electricity, you know, as a oh, young I love like, it. kid in Scotland. I know. Uh, it was yeah. a fun time, fun time. I don't think you yeah. could do that sort of stuff now, but they'd probably get, you know, snaffled <laughs> yeah. into someone's house. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I knew that, that this was a strength of mine. I'm, I'm quite happy to call people up on the phone and uh you know talk to them so i'm tired i've been targeting libraries around western australia and only western australia which is where i reside uh to let them know i've got these two books you know would i think they'd be good for the list and but first off i was sort of emailing them first and then following up Mm -hmm. with a phone call and it feels like a snail's pace because you know it's like one library at a time this should i be thinking more on a grander scale here should i be thinking of a company that might just take out a big bunch of my books but i've yet to have that thought but i thought this feels productive to me and it feels like and i may i've made some sales through it and direct so i get the most money um and uh yeah so i've slowly been proceeding that way mainly with sales and and I prefer that because when I get I get the royalties through the the third party platforms and they're like nowhere near as much as when you're obviously no. selling direct. I know. So I know. Um, but so far Amazon is not working for me. Um I yeah. haven't gone down the advertising route yet because I like I don't know what I'm doing. So I need mm-hmm. to kind of get an education around that first before I'm gonna put any yeah. money behind it for sure. <laughs> I did I did a, a little bit uh where I I I set a pretty low bid. Um, and I sold zero books for many dollars mm-hmm. that I spent on Amazon. So I was like, well, that's that's not great. Because I mean, I did, I again, I don't sell a ton of books, um, but even through Facebook advertising, enough that I, I I stay in the game, you know. But it's it's always like oh, I lost a little bit of money here, lost a little bit of money there. Tweak the ad, kind of change things up, see what happens. But like you, I actually uh, I did a series on my podcast for uh, libraries, and it was probably more applicable to Canada. And- in the United States, I I wouldn't even understand how the library systems in in Australia work, but um, 
that was a lot of fun. That's actually how I ended up having Joanna on my podcast. Joanna Penn um, is mm-hmm. is that she had interviewed uh, a guy. I'm forgetting his last name off the top of my head. Eric Simmons. Um, he was on my podcast after I heard his interview on her podcast about getting into libraries, and that just like lit a fire in, under under me. Um, and so my books are in libraries across the states. Um, mm. But yeah, it's it's so difficult to do that process. And I think what was most disheartening for me was that librarians can actually be kind of, I hate to say this, and I don't know, it, it, I, this has just been my experience. So other people may have different experiences, but they can be kind of snooty. Like you go in and you mm. say, I have a self-published <laughs> book. And they're like, well, we actually only carry books from the big five. And I was like, Really? I, that doesn't make sense to me. That is so strange. I can understand. I can I can straw man the other side and say there are so many self-published books that are of questionable quality that you have to sort of be wary of, of self-publishing. But at the same time, um, there's got to be a, a third way, not just carrying the, the big five. Did you run into mm-hmm. any of that with libraries? You said it was a snail's pace, but has it mostly been positive or have you ran into any um, yeah, maybe pretty undue much. judgment? I, I guess... Um... Is there a reason that you're going into libraries to say I've self-published this book, or you're just it's just part of your statement sort of thing? <laughs> um, well, so when I would go in to pitch them to to buy my book, I would be like, I am an author. I'm a local author. I wrote this novel. It's based in Omaha, uh, and they'd be like, Oh, what press is it with? And I'm like, It's you know, Create Collaborate Press. Oh, I haven't heard of that. Who whose is that? Well, it's my personal press. You know, oh, so mm. you're self-published? Yes, I'm self-published. We don't carry self-published books, and you're like, Oh, huh. okay. Uh, well i haven't i haven't yeah i haven't gone in directly like i do everything over the phone because uh obviously everything's like miles away from here and i've just and and i email first so i've got like this database that i've built through obviously you know email lists and it's actually what's funny is it's well it's given me an education because you know in australia there's the you you have like the city of I'll just say Joondalup, which is close to me. And then under that city of Joondalup, there's about three libraries that come under that. And so there's no point in like cold calling around all those libraries because they're all connected to just the city. So I kind of have been grouping those together. So I've been learning that. But the way that libraries buy, especially in Australia, is very different. I have gone up to local libraries with one of these little square readers and they've paid with a credit card. Um, I've had them. Yeah, yeah, not, not many, but... I've had them come through my website and bought from me direct. A lot of wow. them go through um, third-party distributors. So they've gave me the names of those, and I have got in touch with them, and then I appear on their lists. Um, I, yeah, I haven't received money from them, and I feel like people have bought from it. So I don't know how mm. they work, whether they just put up my book from the like Ingram Spark or something, and people go through there. I just I'm not sure entirely how they work. Um, so yeah, it's 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 interesting to find out how they buy and obviously they mm. get allocated specific monies and all that sort of thing. And my reasoning for doing libraries and targeting them was, uh, I don't know if the US have got this, but here in Australia we have something called um, ELP, e- ELP and ALP, it's Educational Lending Rights and okay. Digital Lending Rights. So if you're an author in Australia and your book is in public libraries and in educational libraries and things like that. If you put in a form at the end of each year, financial year or something like that, you get a royalty payment for every where your books are at all across the state. 
which libraries, yeah, they've actually started to roll this in for digital lending rights for ebooks and audiobooks, which is fantastic because, you know, your books in a library and someone's that's it's people are taking it. That's effectively sales that you're losing out on. So, yeah, yeah cool. have you heard of that in the US or they don't do that? We don't do anything like that. The closest that we have to it is uh, we've got we've got several different <clears throat> digital resources. One is called Libby, um, and Libby mm -hmm. uh, people the the library actually purchases a copy of the book, the ebook or the audio book, um, and then it's in their catalog for a set period of time. I can't tell you off the top of my head how many years, but they own it for a number of years. Um, and during that whole time that Libby does it, you get credit for the one purchase. It is at two times the cost for digital books. So um, like an ebook or an audiobook, if you list the retail as $19.99, then um, they purchase it for $40. And then you get your mm. royalty based on that, which is a really small amount. So it it's not great. Um, and then the other system we have is called uh, Hoopla. And Hoopla is paper checkout. So your book is available to any library if it's uh, in the Hoopla database. And every time somebody checks it out, you get a small royalty payment. But um, for example, with Hoopla, my royalties last month were, were like 60 bucks, which is mm. a really small amount. But, um, you know, people are listening, people are checking out the book and finding it. Yeah. And then well, My sad. thought is, like, from there, maybe they go and they buy the the hard copy uh, of the book if they like it enough. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've heard of those two um, sort of platforms, and I think yeah. um, with what they, they they couldn't decide with, like, the digital lending rights here um, is just obviously, like you said, with with Libby, they they buy like the license, they buy the sort of digital file or whatever. But the amount of times, especially th this came up because of COVID, and the digital reading went up a notch because nobody could obviously go, we're going to the shops and buying yes. print and things yeah. like that. Then the Australian Society of Authors is fantastic here and they campaign for authors' rights all the time. So this was their their yeah. fight and this is what they've succeeded with to get authors' payments for the money that they're losing for people borrowing their digital copies through libraries. So mm -hmm. uh, that's yet to roll out what people get. But I've heard um, when, these, when this time of year comes around and people put in um, for their ELR and PLR payments, some of the authors, fair enough, they're they're probably established and have got a few books behind them, but they reckon that that's that makes up a good chunk of their income, like a big, wow. big, beefy bit of money that's that amazing. comes in that helps. Yeah. So my my thinking is, if I can get enough of my books into libraries, and then I can put in this payment, like you know, that's a fantastic year, incentive. I can get it. And I wouldn't bother going at the moment because I've got the two nonfiction books and what I believe is like a four or five book series, uh, mm -hmm. author linings. It's like a, a nonfiction li through lived experience um, mm -hmm. topics and things like that. These books are what I call short nonfiction. So a bit like yeah. your um, marketing mindset book. They're about the same size. Yeah. They're quite small, short to the point. Um, I don't waffle at all. And so I know that these books, apart from being together, in the end, I'm going to put them into one big book. So it's like a big fat book. Then I would probably go to the bookstores with that because that will be visible. My little books at the moment, they're not going to be visible on a bookshelf to anybody and they'll just get lost. Yeah. So pitching bookshops at the moment is probably not part of well it's not it's not part of my like non-fiction marketing strategy so yeah. still playing on with the libraries but i think that i need to think of something i'm good at or how i yeah. can make a bulk sale on a grander scale than me just because it's time yeah. consuming sort of going around one one at a time you know each library and i've only 
I haven't even quite hit the end of like Western Australia, and then I've got the, all the other states yeah. <laughs> to go. Yeah. But That's, it's also I'm... building up um, connection with the librarians too. And yes, I have to, in a long-winded answer to your question, have came up against a couple of uh, snooties that have sort of just <laughs> okay. made a comment about um, self-publishing, but nowhere on my email I just I, I say good. who I am. Uh, what the books are about, uh, where they can get them, and how honoured like uh, I would be for them to be found, you know, as a local author, uh, for them yeah. to be found in my my libraries to help their patrons, you know, and that is, you know, finding the benefits of my books for their, their, uh, you know, but there is a lot of like I've more so than snooties. I've met and met library librarians who want to help you and campaign for you That's and so are cool. really excited for you. Yeah. And I've had some opportunities come come out through doing that. I'm actually speaking at a, a literary festival in March from making these cold calls round the the women sort of brought up this. And so from yeah. that, I've got a speaking gig out of it and then something else. So from making these little calls, then there's other opportunities that arise as well. Yeah. That is that's really cool. I love I love the incentives uh, behind the the library system. There, it 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 um, encourages you to do that more. And I think that you know I, I guess I can't think of all of like the economic. Uh, I can't think of the word I'm looking for here, but like uh, the, the consequences of it necessarily. But it sounds like such a perfect way to drive people to use the library more. Um, I always feel a little bit guilty because what I do more often than not, for example, I'm reading um, The Running Grave by uh, Robert Galbraith, a.k.a. J.K. Rowling, uh, right now. And um, I have the audiobook through my library. Um, and so I, I uh, checked out the, the physical book from my local library and then the audiobook from the Omaha library, and I paired them together. Helps me read faster, uh, retain better. So I do that a lot. Um, and I, I didn't pay for either of those. And part of me, like, I feel guilty telling people that I do that because I'm like, I'm not supporting the literary community. Um, sometimes I feel like hmm. a, a snake chasing its own tail though. Like I'm going to devour myself. If I have to pay for every book that I read, uh, there's so much other stuff that I could not do. Um, I'm conflicted a little bit in that way. Um, your library system somewhat alleviates that, that pain, <laughs> yeah. at least for, but for then you, Australians. You're saying that you've, you've not bought that book, but then you've just mentioned it and you've just told me about it. So if, yeah. if it's, you know, if you raved about it to someone else and effectively you've, you've maybe sold that book onto someone else, I think there's other ways that you can kind of help yeah. people uh, without kind of buying the book. But it's never crossed Very my true. mind, like going through the library, libraries to me, I mean, I actually use them as an office. Like I go there to uh, do my writing and stuff like yeah. that. Um, and yeah, it's a source of inspiration for me. It's great. They are advocates for authors and, you know, it's, it's our mecca, isn't it? <laughs> it's yeah, just where it is. we want to be. And librarians are great and, and they're so good. And I, I don't think, um, I mean, I guess, as I said, if, if our authors here are getting compensated for books that are getting borrowed for the library. So I guess I've never really had that thought that I'm cheating an author out of their book, but mm. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I do want to uh, start looking at wrapping up. But before we do that, talk yep. about the books that you've written in a little bit more detail. So you said you envision it. And I apologize. I think you said a four book series, but um, now I'm second guessing. The, the yeah, numbers. well, these two nonfiction books. So I, much like yourself, uh, fiction all the way. I started out writing children's and YA fiction. And I almost feel that uh, it's not because someone told me to, but I went to a... Um, 
I don't think, I don't know if you've got them in the US, but it was a psychic meeting once. It's a psychic church. And so a bunch of people go there and there's a medium and you may or may not get a reading. And uh, I was only, oh gosh, I was quite young and my my sister was really into this sort of stuff. So I remember we'd had a big night out and I kind of went along a bit hungover and I I just (laughs) went because they were kind of going. So I was sort of slumped in my seat and this woman's, you know, you picked me and I see you surrounded by children's books. And I was like, no, I don't wow. think so. Um, yeah, I said, it's probably her next to me and her on the other side because they're both in childcare. That's maybe what's coming through. Ian. Uh, yeah. and, and then I never thought much about that for about many years later. I went into the children's fiction genre and I kind of started out there. And um, it's just been through taking my writing seriously um, mm. by taking higher education and things like that. Uh, that the the first in this this nonfiction series that came out, and I never ever planned to write nonfiction books at all. It's just fiction yeah. I want to write. Uh, love that, but from lived experience, these books kind of came out, and I just felt like I had something to say or something to share. So yeah. I set after my uni degree. Um, freelance writing and mm-hmm. um this the the first in the series is called freelance writing quick tips for fast success and it's kind of like what i describe as a flip book you can there's obviously mm-hmm. categories but it's more about freelance uh business startups so business values cool. uh rates of pay registering your business that sort of thing okay. um but the tips in it is like 60 plus quick tips and you can just sort of flip cool. ahead you know tip number yeah. 60 whatever that kind of thing and it's tiny you know it's only like yeah. I think it's about 7,000 words. So you can read it in an hour oh, and it's great. like to the point and good. And I've had some good reviews to say, you know, there's yeah. no fluff in this book. It's just to the point. Right. I, <laughs> I think someone even, he left me a review saying, uh, I'm so sick of writing, like reading bad books. And 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 instead here's this book. And I just thought, it was, was that a positive review? Awesome. Or was it <laughs> to the point. Yeah. Right, <laughs> so yeah, yeah that's. That, that was just a small book that kind of emerged. And then the next in the series is uh, author, author Fears and How to Overcome Them. And that has been from me, uh, you know, emerging as a, an author and putting my work out there uh, for others to judge and all the insecurities and things that have just absolutely overwhelmed me, avalanched me almost. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've kind of put that into categories. There's uh, physical fears, craft fears, confidence fears, all that sort of stuff um, around, you know, feeling judged, self-doubt, mm. um, unsupportive people as well. You know, you you do this sort of career. No one no one sees what you're doing. You're kind of living yeah. in your head. Like I've been saying to my, my folks for, gosh, the last month, I'm all, you know, still finishing my book, whatever. I wonder if they just sit thinking she's just sitting playing a game on her computer or something until there's something something yeah. finished that people can actually see that's tangible yeah. they don't get it if they're not creative and right. there can be a lot of stigma that comes with that and i've certainly gone through that in the years so that mm. those sorts of things are all in that book and uh the next in series is more like uh the organized author so i've got my processes and my my work flowing together and all that sort of thing and i think that others might be able to benefit from that and then I think the final one is uh, more like going to be like like a performance speaking type style. So they will all join together. They just yeah. come from me chasing this uh, this career and the things that I sort of come up against that I've not ever experienced before that, you know, I effectively I've got to just get through to get to the other side because I'm not going to stop wanting to be an author, having this right. author career, get into where I'm going to be. Um, but these are the things that that roadblocks, I guess, I hate that term as well, but they kind of pop up and they can easily stop someone in their tracks from from going for this because it's 
it's like you're saying, it's that uncomfortableness. It's that horrible thing. So there's just millions of stuff. But yeah, and then you almost think, why am I doing this? Why am I doing this? If if it Absolutely. feels so so un unearthly on whatever that world is, but uh, there's a reason. Yeah, yeah. there's a reason. Uh, so that's there's, there's... <laughs> They, they sound great. You and I are treading on a lot of the same territory in, in terms of like what we're trying to to speak to in, in the, the author community. So I love that. Um, and I I need to put links. You, you sell them direct, you said. So it's easiest to put links to those books direct to your website, I'm assuming. Yeah. So hybrid, uh, yeah, hybridauthor.com.au slash books or whatever is where you'll find everything. But yeah, hybridauthor.com.au is where the podcast is, the books are and everything. And the reason that, you know, I started Hybrid Author is because I have so many aspirations in different genres and different ways of publishing. Uh, I had to find some sort of common denominator to be able to keep them all in the one place because I can't have two websites. And in my name, I have pseudonyms. So I can't, I can't have different social media sites. I can't, I, I yeah. find that out quite quickly when we were yeah. talking about time and kids and stuff. And yeah. I needed this one thing that I could just go to and consult for everything I'm trying to do. So the hybrid author is yeah. it. And it's funny how the term is coining off into all these different areas. Like it's, right. uh, it's, it's evolving every year. I'm sort of doing it and I'm meeting new people and yeah, it's just got such a, yeah, such a reach on it, I guess. Yeah, it does. Yeah, I mean, in some ways, I feel like you're you're very fortunate because it's a great term. It's memorable. It's short. It's easy, uh, and and it does have like a just a large, inclusive kind of umbrella to it. So hybrid in the sense that you can be traditionally published and self published, but hybrid in that you can have pseudonyms. You can be nonfiction fiction. Um, anything yeah. you write can go under. And that. even um like even writing styles, like I talked to an Australian yeah. author, and she inco- she was incorporating like, um, uh, into like prose, like uh, like poetry, and just just mixing up writing styles as well. That was one, yeah. and I was like, that's so interesting. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I seem to be incapable of writing a straightforward genre. So if I if I want to write mystery, then somehow I have to incorporate like elements of urban fantasy into it, and like. Why do I do this to myself? It would be so much easier if I could just write a cozy. Come on. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Oh, you are a hybrid author, Jody, 100%. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, and, I, and the, the one comfort I take is knowing that that other authors uh, are, are all kind of doing this. It feels a bit like the experiment we're having as a society, too, because I know Australia is not so different than the United States in terms of um, the, the the races, the religions, the ethnicities, the cultures. Um, all of those kind of things are, are like very melting pot in Australia as well as they are in the United States. Um, and the more that you see that, the more you're like, oh, I can go to a restaurant that's um, Mexican Asian fusion. Um, and yeah, that, cool. I feel like that's happening with our writing as well is that you're, you're not seeing a ton of books that are just straight up one genre anymore. Yeah. And I like that because, you know, something, something cool and weird and beautiful can come out of that. <laughs> Absolutely. I would, I wish we could talk longer. And I mean, I could talk longer, but I, I have the sense that you need to get to your day to get to your kids, to get to your family. Um, so I want to do this again soon. I am so glad that I got to have you on my podcast because the first time that you invited me to be on yours, you refused to, uh, to reciprocate and be on mine. It wasn't the <laughs> right time, like you said, but um, to, to share you with my audience is something that I'm, I'm really glad to do uh, from the first time that we met. And I don't even remember how we encountered each other, to be honest. Um, 
I, I've, I've always thought that you excel at, at authenticity. And you said it at the beginning of the show that you don't know how to do it any different way. But it seems to be so ingrained in your DNA that you're almost like accidentally authentic. And um, the, the, the effect it has on me, and I think probably will my audience as well, is that I feel like you're a friend, even though I've only spoken to you a couple of times. Um, so keep doing what you're doing, because it just has this like, incredibly comforting impact on on me. And um, your your trustworthiness is is through the roof. Oh, thank you. That's so blushing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and back at yes. you as well. I know it's, uh, I, I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, same though, I just feel like, you know, you can meet people and just have that sort of connection where you, oh, you know, you're both inspired yeah. by the same things or, or whatnot. But um, yeah, exactly. You sharing your vulnerability, I guess, if that's the word on, on failures and succeeding and, and all the rest is, I, I think what people will respond to, and especially in this world with, uh, oh, dare I say it, AI rising, you know, all oh, this man. chat and things like that. And everyone yeah. saying the, the human being human is going to probably be more important than, than anything. Uh -huh. But uh yeah. yeah, this is this is me, this is it, and I can't yeah, pretend to be otherwise. I think that's why I'm working out all the insecurities <laughs> before yeah. I put myself out there. because uh, right. I can't they're all fake it till you make it. And it's like, oh, I find that really yeah. hard. But don't know how to do it. Yes, yes. <laughs> I can be, but I thank can be you. ignorant of what I don't know. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thank, thank you. Thank you so Joanne. much for having me on as well. It's been great. Yeah, it has been. Thank you. Thank you for listening to TRBM. The theme music was provided by the ever-talented Christopher Talon. And hey, if you liked what you heard, share this show with other readers because what's the point of telling stories if nobody's listening? Calling all self-published authors. If you live in the United States and you've always wanted to see your books in bookstores, this may be the most important ad you'll hear in 2023. Listen carefully. No matter where you are in your publishing journey, it's not too early to position yourself to pursue brick-and-mortar bookstore distribution. But if you're a self-published author, you've probably heard, getting your books in stores is next to impossible. That's no longer the case. For just $5, you'll receive a lifetime membership to the Self-Published Author Co-op. When you join, you'll have access to a members-only community with a detailed roadmap on how to get your books ready for bookstore distribution. Joining our community does not guarantee bookstore distribution, as there's a limited availability each month to be a featured author. And that's why the cost of a lifetime membership is less than a cup of coffee. Whether you're just about to publish your first book, or you're selling thousands of copies a month, if you don't have your books in bookstores, the Self-Published Author Co-op is the easiest, most efficient way to get national distribution of your books. Click the link in the show notes to join now.